We are in Judges 8. We uh, get to another part of uh, Gideon's life. They pretty well defeated the enemy, if you remember, in chapter uh, 7, and they got him on the chase. But uh, the 300 are doing pretty good. In fact, they've done real well. Uh, so if you look at Judges 6 and 7 and Hebrews 11, and you'd see that Gideon is a man of faith, and you would say this is a great example of a man of God. He, you know, God used to save Israel, right? Well, and dark hours that Israel was in, and the Gideon society, which is the... Uh, Gideons give the Bibles away, or used to. I don't know if they still do or not. Are they still doing it? Good. Of course, they used to put them in motels and just all over, everywhere. Free Bibles. They distribute them. Well, that was the reason why, because Gideon is quite a hero. But honestly, Gideon was quite a sinful man also. And uh, so are we. (laughs) We're sinful people. (laughs) But um, what he... Did is that he used the power that God had given him and uh, he took revenge upon his enemies and uh, he made an ephod which is a priestly garment which is for priests and uh, that became a stumbling block for all the people of Israel. Uh, Gideon's character is a little bit uh, something to look at and <laughs> we'll look at it tonight. He's not one of the best role models that the Bible has to offer. You know, uh, but we are. We're just like the guy. Uh, we too are sinful. And, uh, you know, God works in all of us through His power, through His Spirit. And so He did with Gideon. Why would He put this in the Scripture? This is for me. Yeah. <laughs> I love Gideon. <laughs> well, he's he's a regular person. He was very timid at first. Winds up being very courageous. When we're left to ourselves, we'll do just like Gideon did. Uh, if we're not being led by God's Spirit, we'll use the gifts that God gives us and we'll use them for our own personal gain and benefit. So in this section... We're going to find another side of Gideon as it comes pretty apparent as he comes from a timid type of a man to uh, almost a tyrant in some ways. Not to just say that he was totally wasted, but uh, he definitely changed and for the most part not for the good because it went to his own ends rather than the ends of the nation and all for the glory of God. So that's what we're looking at tonight as we see the enemy is defeated, but uh, Gideon really goes on a downward slide. And as we look at it as we go through, we'll see how easy that is for power to corrupt. Let's pray. Father, thank you uh, for who you are, how great you are. You are an awesome God. and You tell us the stories through your scripture of the men that you used, the men and the women, and uh, they did things to alleviate the situations for people, uh, the Israelites, like in the book of Judges, and yet at the same time they were human, and they show what 
uh, can happen if one gets away and strays from your truth and what you say. And may we ever be aware of that, Lord, that we would not want to stray away, but to constantly uh, do it the way that you have in mind. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, the first three verses is where Ephraim is involved here. And it kind of goes off of the uh, chapter 7 and the victory over the enemy. (laughs) And we'll see that there's quite a contention here. First three verses it says, Then the men of Ephraim said to him, What is this thing you have done to us? not calling us when you went to fight against Midian. And they contended with him vigorously. But he said to them, What have I done now in comparison with you? Is not the gleaning of the grapes of Ephraim better than the vintage of Abizar? God has given the leaders of Midian, Oreb and Zeb, into your hands. And what was I able to do in comparison with you? Then their anger toward him subsided when he said that. Well, he's quite a diplomat. You remember? They they were narrowed down to 300 men. That's what God wanted them to do to win that battle. And they got them on the run. And so you have these two guys, Oreb and Zeheb, who are like sons of Zeba and Zalmana, which we'll see today, which are the leaders of the Midianites. So we see in verse 25 that captured the two leaders of Midian, Oreb and Zeb, and they killed Oreb at the rock of Oreb, killed Zeb at the winepress of Zeb, evidently they named him after that, while they pursued Midian and they brought the heads of Oreb and Zeb to Gideon from across the Jordan. So it's like they get credit for this it's really what Ephraim gets. That's what Gideon actually gives. I mean, they're they're really contending with Gideon because they wanted to be a, a part of this, get some of the glory. So Gideon says, hey, the cleaning of the grapes of Ephraim, that's easy to figure out. There's the fruit of what they had. It's, it's so much better here than the cleaning of the grapes uh, or the vintage or grapes of Abizar or in this case, Gideon he says, "You guys are really you. Here it is. You've got the capture here. You get the credit." And all of a sudden, it's like, "Oh, really? Oh, okay." <laughs> and so he got out of that. It was pretty good. You know, he uh, kept things from happening and spiraling even worse than what it's going to uh, as we proceed. So anyway, they were a little mad. He calls them back down placates them, he satisfies them, and he moves on. But this is 300 men, and they are, they've come to the Jordan, and they're crossing over now. Okay, so, so the enemy Gideon, uh, that Gideon is chasing down, which is Midian, which held them captive for basically for, what, seven years. And now they've defeated them, they want to go ahead and close this off, and whatever men that uh, Midian has left tell us in a moment how that works out. So, they've got a pursuit in verses 4 through 9. 
since Gideon and the 300 men who were with him came to the Jordan, crossed over, weary, yet pursuing. He said to the men of Sukkot, Please give loaves of bread to the people who are following me, for they are weary. And I am pursuing Ziba and Zalmanah, the kings of Midian. The leaders of Sukkot said, Are the hands of Ziba and Zalmanah already in your hands, that we should give bread to your army? Gideon said, All right, when the Lord has given Ziba and Zalmanah into my hand, then I'll thrash your bodies with the thorns of the wilderness and with briars. He went up from there, tries the next place. Penuel spoke similarly to them. And the men of Penuel answered him, just as the men of Sukkot had answered. So he spoke also to the men of Penuel, saying, When I return safely, I will tear down the tower. So he goes to get supplies. These are Israelites. They are his own people. Remember uh, the Gad that was living over there on the other side? They didn't want to help him. He's just asking for food, some supplies. They're they're weary, they're tired, of course. Um, The distance from the battlefield where they were at in the Jezreel Valley to Sukkot across the Jordan River is about like 40 miles. So it's about like the distance from here to Pinnacle. Would that be about right? Yeah. That sound about right? Yeah. Okay. So, you know, a little bit tired. You know, they're not driving tanks or trucks up that way. Or over that way. Mainly because they didn't have a bridge over the Jordan. No, I just made that up. Anyway, Sukkot means booths. Booths. And so these are the, you know, a place that is of the Israelites. And that had been given, that land had been given by uh, Moses and Joshua, to this tribe of, of Gad here. Uh, maybe the, the ones who live there are suspicious of Gideon uh, when they arrive, and, and they're right hot on the trail of these fleeing Midianites. And so it's like they go to the city council, you know, the, whoever the leaders are there, they're the, the elders, and they, uh, they know they're in their pursuit of the two kings. And it's funny, they start off with Z and two of the Zs. And Oreb and Zeb are like their underlings, they're like princes. And so they've already killed them. And so they're trying to get this. Now remember, seven years of oppression that these guys had caused. Um, it's difficult to tell whether the answer they're giving here would be like sarcastic you know the the people of Sukkot and even Penuel um, or if they're actually questioning the honor of Gideon's men here uh, we don't know for sure it's hard to really read that well, but have they already got the news of this battle that evidently so yeah it had gone out thinking, across you know, the land they're, they're still thinking about you're chasing these guys down. They got fifteen thousand guys, and you got what three hundred? So and whoever else has joined them from <laughs> the other yeah, from so, now, yeah, right. But you know, what chance do you have? Yeah. Are they thinking? Listen, if you got if you don't take them, 
we're sitting here, we're setting ducks. Because we're on the side, on the other side of the Jordan. Is that what you're thinking there? Well, That yeah. could be one I'm thing you're thinking. I'm wondering, you know, I mean, they could give them some food. Yeah, why didn't they give food? Had to, if they didn't win, then the other guys would have come back. Yeah, because they helped them. Yeah. There they've been in that area. But yeah. do, do your enemies really care? No, they don't at all. They're your enemies. This is, kind of reminds me of Trump and the Republicans. They kept playing back. Like, Let's just see how bad the Democrats just drive up and fuck around the hill. This kind of reminds me that's what you're sitting there talking about. I'm kind of sitting there the same thing. And it's like, they, it's your enemy. You help anybody. You would help the people that are trying to get rid of those enemies for you. No, Because even if they lose, you're going to lose again. They're just going to get mad and say, you helped me even if you didn't. That's what I think. Yep. Whatever it is, they've, uh, there's uh, different ideas here. But the thing is, their fellow Israelites, they should have helped them. That's right. Should have given them some food, some strength, and whatever it is. They didn't do that at all. And Gideon says, okay, you're going to pay for this. And uh, that's what's going to happen. But not at the moment. Well, They're on the pursuit. They didn't have to do anything because God would have got them anyway. Right. Right. <laughs> yeah. Acting like that, right? Yeah. So he says he'll... It, it Really, in effect, it's like saying, I'm going to take the law into my own hands here. Mm-hmm. I'm going to do what we're going to do and I'm going to punish my own countrymen because they didn't help us out. We're going to make uh, whips here out of desert shrubs. <laughs> And just go along in there and just scar him up pretty good. He's angry. He's been disrespected. Before, he wouldn't have ever done anything. Now, he's won a great big battle. And he's going to win this thing. He knows it. And it's like, I'll show them. So he goes to both villages. Gets treated that way. He says, okay. Here we go. Let's go, guys. They're not going to give us anything. We'll be back this way. So, uh, this, the reaction, though, of these Israelites, it's surprising, though. But that's how people are, you know. And uh, they're completely unlike the other tribes that were up northwest. You had, what, uh, Zebulun, Naphtali, and Asher, and Manasseh. They all had joined in, ready and willing to take those guys on. And they uh, immediately had rallied to uh, Gideon's call for getting an army up, getting the help. And there they came. Of course, they boiled down to 300 men. But that's his private army now, Gideon has. And you don't see Gideon really seeking God's will here, though. He did throw up number seven, though. He did tell him, you know, Lord, when the Lord gives me, obviously, he didn't need that anymore. Uh... Yeah, like, uh, all right, when the Lord has given Zeba and Zalman in my hand, which which he did, see, but then I'm going to do this, but we didn't see. The Lord didn't tell him to give that kind of punishment. <laughs> right. He forgot to look, I'll let the Lord deal with you if you don't help out. <laughs> Still, when he says that, you'd think they wouldn't be saying, well, are they all red in your hand? <laughs> Right. <laughs> you know, right. I mean, right. the Lord's going to do this, so are they all ready your head? So, you really think that, huh? Yeah. Yeah, I, I think there's probably um, probably some jealousy there. Yeah. 
Maybe there's some fear that they have there. They don't want to get involved, right? That's the way a lot of people are. They don't want to get involved. Don't want to get it messy here. So they don't give them anything. Okay, so see, I'm going to get in. Beat them up. Well, <laughs> Shoot them all. <laughs> Jerks. Wait till the end of the story. <laughs> That's the way our flesh would feel, right? Yes. yes. Uh, so. Jerks. Um, that, well, I know he's related to that, uh, what is that, Beezer? You know, that area and group of people there. Um, did it ever say? Yeah, we did. Um, we talked about that last time, didn't we? Uh, we know that he belonged to Joash the Uh And they were way up, uh, you know, north up there, but I don't know exactly the, the tribe. Was it was it Dan? I'm not sure. It wasn't Dan, was it? I'm sure. I need to look at that further, and I'll get you an answer later. <laughs> so he makes threats against fellow Israelites who didn't help him. Now he moves on. So ten through twelve is one of his famous attacks. You get them when they're not expecting. It's a good way to do it. Now Zeba and Zalmana were in Karkor and their armies with them. About 15,000 men. What did they start off with? Well, it says down here 120,000 at swordsmen and such. All were left of the entire army of the sons of the east, but the fallen were 120,000 swordsmen. Gideon went up by the way of those who lived in tents on the east of Noba and Jagbiha and attacked the camp when the camp was unsuspecting. When Zeba and Zalmana fled, so they get away again, he pursued them and captured the two kings of Midian. Zeba and Zalmana had routed the whole army, just destroyed them, and got the kings. It's all over now. And that's really what it's about. When you get the kings, I mean, you take the heart of it out. And, of course, they just totally defeat the, the army. Now, Karkor there is like about 100 miles to the east of the Dead Sea. Man, we've gone a long way now. This has taken a while. That's 100 miles. Quite a pursuit, isn't it? And it's to the northward part of where, I guess, the Midianite homeland would be. It would be north uh, west of that area. So they, And they took the route, these kings here did, uh, that was used by uh, caravans. Trading caravans. Zeba and Zalmana took an easy route. They managed to escape with uh, these 15,000 men. And they had started with what? They had 120,000 of them wiped out. And we don't know whether they were wiped out by 
the 300 men or the or pro, well the 32,000 men were then added to the army if you remember that that pursuit so it doesn't really tell what the details how that happened but and of course a lot of them just more or less killed themselves back at the original camp as they woke up in you know, total chaos so there it is that's a big drop and now Gideon catches up with them and it's just north of what the city is now called Amman Amman Jordan so that's where they're at that would be the area really close so Gideon attacked like he had done before they're not even expecting them at all to do what they did and they didn't have a chance. But you know, God has His hand on this all the way through. He already told them that they were going to defeat them. Now this is totally done. Wipes them all out. With the kings now dead, the princes dead, armies wiped out. So that part is done, isn't it? So we go to the vengeance of Gideon, 13 through 17. Gideon the son of Joash returned from the battle by the ascent of Ares and he captured a youth from Sukkot and questioned him. Then the youth wrote down for him the princes of Sukkot and its elders, 77 men. I'm impressed by this kid who can, knows the names of them and writes them down. Oh, I couldn't have gotten it. We came to the man of Sukkot and said, Behold, Zeba and Zalmana, concerning whom you taunted me, saying, Are the hands of Zeba and Zalmana already in your hand, that we should give bread to your men who are weary? He reminds them what they said and how they had said it. I would say there was definitely sarcasm there, wouldn't you? He took the elders of the city and the thorns of the wilderness and briars and he disciplined the men of Sukkot with them. He tore down the power of Penuel, look at this, and killed the men of the city. Now that's interesting. So he punishes, disciplines, it says here, the elders of Sukkot, but he got to Penuel, took down the tower, which is their defense, and as he takes that down, then he goes ahead and kills the men of the city. This is his own people. For, he takes the first one, Sukkot, and discipline's really bad. Well, that wasn't quite good enough. Let's get the other guys. Let's just kill them. I don't think God has warranted that. But God allows it to happen. Oh yeah, he's gaining it all the time. But he's going like this. Even though, you know, he's had, he had that great victory. I mean, the victory is totally done and now it's like he came from Gideon, which nobody knew of, and he was a wimp, and now all of a sudden he saw what he did. And now, do you see why he does what he does? Yeah, but that violence that he perpetrated on Sukkah, but now Sukkah, just fed that oh, anger yeah. 
And so when he got to the other guys, I think it just snowballed on him. It just took it took them all out. Took all the men of the city. This is his his own people. Wow. Yeah, it just kept going and going, didn't it? And uh, so the violence really shows. And you know, I mean, the the men now are gone there. The defense perimeter is taken down. Can you imagine what that town was like after that? Mm. These people were not Canaanites. That's seriously what it would do to those. But it's almost like he's become cruel. Snowballed and snowballed. And he's bloodthirsty. This is revenge upon his brethren for simply not going along with the idea of the food, the supplies. Well, I think they probably would have gotten disciplined by the Lord on that, but uh, he took it into his own hands. What does the Lord say? Vengeance is mine. Right? Yeah. Took a very dark turn here, Gideon did. A very, I think it's very disturbing. Although it seems like they deserved all this. But it wasn't his or God's plan, but it was his own plan. And I don't think I see a hint here of asking God what to do about them. He didn't seek the will of the Lord. I don't see it there at all. But some people would probably praise Him and say, alright, He took care of that. But I don't think it's a good thing because what we see is this is on a downward spiral. It keeps on going further. So, 18 through 21... He has the kings now, right? What's he going to do with them? Well, I can't see so much as it being quite as bad as getting his own people. Matter of fact, he usually would take the lives of the kings anyway and kill all the Canaanites, right? So he said to Zeba and Zalmanah, what kind of men were they whom you killed at Dabor? It's a questioning, probably a little bit of interrogation here. I have to wonder what kind of pressure that he's putting on them. And they said, they were like you, each one resembling the son of a king. Do you think they're complimenting him? <laughs> you know, you've seen it where you know spies get captured and there's no way that they're going to tell anything. Matter of fact, they'll just laugh in the face. And you're going, you're going to get yourself killed. If you do that, well, they're going to get killed anyway. They know it. You know it's over. So, they're not going to give him any compliment, but they're doing it in a way that, you know, if you read it really, you say, oh, well, they're, they're saying he looks like a king. So he said, they were my brothers, the, uh, the sons of my mother. As the Lord lives, if only you had let them live, I would not kill you. So he said that Jether, his firstborn, he tells his son here, rise up, kill him. But the youth, I wonder how old he was, did not draw his sword, for he was afraid because he was still a youth. So he still, I think he has a little bit of fear of God here, uh, you know. Is this the thing to do? I, I, I can't do this. 
Then Ziba and Zelmanah said, Rise up yourself and fall on us, for as the man, so is his strength. <laughs> They're just, they knew that their lives are done, so they just go ahead and just get it out. Yeah. So Gideon arose and killed Ziba and Zalmanah and took the crescent ornaments which were on their camel's necks. Uh, dark side. Surfacing even more. Uh, and you say, why? These are Midianite kings. They should be killed. But what he's doing it for is that it's all about revenge. It's not about the good of the, of the people. Well, it, of course, that turns out that way, but they're, you know, they're uh, not really flattering Gideon. Imagine, he's probably getting more and more angry. And in effect, you know, they admit, it's like that they put these men to death. Gideon knows it. They know it. And he says, if you wouldn't have killed them, I wouldn't be killing you. I have to wonder if that's even true. What do you guys think? I've been tossing that back and forth and I'm going, I think, yeah. He just killed his own people. Yeah. Over bread. Right, over bread. Yeah. Yeah, no, he would have killed them. I'm disappointed with Gideon. He wasn't, that wasn't really even over bread, it was just out of disrespect. But the whole, his motive is revenge, even though, you know, these these men deserve that. They are the, the enemy, after all. But it's personal. To right. Gideon, he didn't isn't kill him it? until it got personal. That's right. Yeah. So, had they spared his brothers' lives, he says, you know, that uh, they wouldn't have had a sentence of death on them. But I think we're going. Eh, I don't know about that. That wouldn't have been right. <laughs> so they insult him. They, you know, keep insulting him. To consider that he <laughs> might have been a little liar there, isn't much of a stretch after. Right. Right. Exactly. <laughs> so he takes the crescent ornaments from the king's own camels. It's final act of revenge. That's probably gold. Oh yeah, that's what we've got going here now, and that's what we're going to run into as we move further into this. The timid man who hid his grain in a wine press is now a mighty warrior. So, here's his legacy. I've got on there not-so-pretty legacy. 22. Then the men of Israel said to Gideon, Rule over us, both you and your son, also your son's son, for you had delivered us from the hand of Midian. But Gideon said to them, I will not rule over you, nor shall my son rule over you. The Lord shall rule over you. Well, that sounds right. And it kind of is. Yet Gideon said to them, I would request of you... Did you see the word yet? But since you brought it up, let's talk deal here. I would request of you that each of you give me an earring from his spoil. For they had gold earrings because they were Ishmaelites. So they, you know, confiscated that. They had pretty good spoils here, didn't they? A lot of soldiers they just killed. They said, "We." and then you have the kings. And, okay. Then they said, we will surely give them. So they spread out a garment 
and every one of them threw an earring there from his spoil. The weight of the gold earrings that he requested was 1,700 shekels of gold. Besides the crescent ornaments and the pendants and the purple robes which were on the kings of Midian, and besides the neckbands that were on the camel's necks, Gideon made it into an ephod and placed it in his city, Ophrah. And all Israel played the harlot with it there so that it became a snare to Gideon and his household. Well, first of all, people want him to be king. That would be natural. You'd be leader over us. Look what you've just done. And uh, I'm sure they're thinking there could be neighboring tribes that come up and try to attack us and do what the Midianites had done before. What we want is a king to rule over us to unify the whole nation, to unify all of Israel. And that's what the people of Israel have in mind here. A monarchy. It doesn't say we're going to make we want to make you king, but I think it's definitely implied there. It does say to rule, to rule over, right? That would be a monarchy, a kingship. And Gideon's own sons and his grandsons, that's what kings do, right? Right on down the family line. And he said, no. You know, I mean, that's good, that's honorable, because he knows that God hasn't warranted that. That's a little bit too much. The Midianites had kings, right? That crescent ornaments, these are like royal symbols. And there's no indication at all that this is God's doing here, that he should be king. That's not God's plan. Gideon doesn't want that. But we don't want to give too much credit to Gideon because he says no, because then we just laughed earlier. Yet, or but, right? Gideon is very confusing. He, he is, was, isn't he? He was a hitman, is what he was. He's he going to be paid for his service to destroy their enemy. Well, what's interesting about Gideon here is I think we see a man that has become very prideful. I don't think I see really any glory to God here, although he says, The Lord shall rule over you. And that sounds good. And I think it's heartfelt in one sense. But in another sense, oh, by the way, though, and it's almost like a king. All te- that's what kings would do. You give me the... He's taxing them. This is theirs, and he says, you, you give it to me. But they had the time to go plunder, and he didn't because he was still chasing the... Taking care of the kings in pursuit. Yeah, right? so, I mean, he had something coming, right? Well, they don't have any problem in giving it to him. Right, right. But that's what a king would do. I mean, that, and he's directing it as he says it here. I would request of you. I ask you that give me an earring, each one of you. But it's going to go into yeah. uh, the city. Yeah, but why did he take all the kings, the, the robes, and all that purple? You know, like there are things that they're saying, right. no gods in charge of. It. Yeah. But by right. the way, just in case you <laughs> you want to see me, I'll be looking like a king strutting around. <laughs> 
He's he's functioning as one. Right. It's just not called a king. Was it false humility? Yeah. I think you could say that. Yeah, I think that's what he was playing false humility, but he didn't mind being the the guy at the gate, what do you call those guys, you know, leader of the gate or something, but he don't want to be the king, you know. Yeah. What about the people? Look back, twenty one. Mid of Israel said to Gideon, Rule over us, both you and your son, also your son's son, for you have delivered you have delivered us from the hand of Midian. Do they say anything about God there? Nothing. Now Gideon does say the Lord shall rule over you, and he knows where his victory has come, but I think he's kind of forgetting that now. He's saying he's quite powerful. <laughs> he's taking the heads of the kings of the Midianites. So he asked for the spoils of the battle. They submit to it. No problem. We're glad to do that. Uh, and what he's doing is what, what a king would always do would be to stock the royal treasury. And that's what they did. And of course he's, he makes a, an ephod here, which really is a priestly garment for the priest. Now, in Exodus 28, we get the uh, instructions here of what the priests were to wear and get this idea of the uh, ephod. 28, 4, and 5. Is that right? It's a plate? Is that what you're talking about? Well, here, yeah, a breastplate and an ephod and a robe, right? It's that, that whole, yeah. Um, it's, it's like a badge, uh, engraved stones that represented the 12 tribes. That's what the, the priests were if you read in 4 and 5. These are garments which they shall make a breast piece and an ephod and a robe and a tunic of checkered work, a turban and a sash, and they shall make holy garments for Aaron your brother and his sons that he may minister as priest to me. They shall take the gold and the blue and the purple and the scarlet material and the fine linen. Well, it sounds like, you know, he's trying to make this a religious thing. And, and it kind of, it is, really, but it's going to turn into really an idol. Because people are going to be worshipping this. You see he's that not a priest. He's not a priest at all. No. And it's like, he is like a king priest, even though he's not going to take the titles if he would have just asked for a portion of the spoils like he did and then went back to his his own land what's that now I, I just want it's like instead of doing what he did if he would have just taken his stuff and went back to Oprah or whatever you want to say it he did ask for a portion yeah of he did spoils. he took it took it back home but if he with just him. did that and then but didn't take all that other stuff and you know well, yeah. even if he took all that stuff, he you know, he could have just lived out his life. He didn't have to act that's like what, a jerk. So that's what he would expect. Yes, yeah. yeah but he, wanted, he just wanted to have something yeah. from it, too. Everybody, of course, it doesn't ever say that he paraded around in the robes and wore the ephod and stuff like that. Right, so, right. I mean, it was just that sitting there in front of his house. I think it... <laughs> <laughs> Oh, good old days. Is this the glory days? Is this what he did 
Well, it makes him quite influential, doesn't it? It does. And I think he really likes that. And I don't really hear really anything about the Lord here. Even though he's trying to tie into the, you know, the religious aspect. And, uh, but no, he's, he's not a priest and nobody there in that sense. But that's what, you know, let's make this useful, right? So he you know, takes it there, back to his home, and boy, he's quite important. Who did all that, yeah. so he puts this out in front of his house. There, there you go. go. A little, little decoration yeah, out in front of the house yeah. there. Remember that? Remember when I did that? People would, and they're going to say, yeah, Gideon did that. Look what he did. Gideon lives there. So Israel played the harlot, so they worship the ephod. And it reminds them of what Gideon did. So that it became a snare to Gideon and his household. So it even got him. Well, he keeps his slide going. As we close out the rest of the chapter now. So Midian was subdued before the sons of Israel. That's in verse 28, right? And they did not lift up their heads anymore. And the land was undisturbed for 40 years in the days of Gideon. So after seven years of oppression of the Midianites, now they get 40 years of rest. That sounds good. And it would be good if maybe it just ended there, the chapter. But we get more of Gideon than Jeroboam, the son of Joash, went and lived in his own house. Who is Jeroboam? That's Gideon. That's Gideon, so isn't why, it? Why, it's his why other would name. They, why, would, why would they use his other name? Well, verse 30, it's kind of interesting. Now, Gideon, yeah. it's a, I guess kind of reminding of back there in, uh, what was it, chapter 6, where he was first called that name, right? Mm-hmm. And so, uh, here it is kind of reminding that uh, that he was given that name after he, it was called Let Baal Contend, right. right? So, it's giving just a little bit of what that was about. Uh, that was dealing with, he went in there and took, took down the altars. And then that was his father that gave that name to him, right? To, uh, to uh, Gideon, which is now Jeroboam. And so, if, if you know, if that's really a god, then let him go and do the thing, you know, whatever he needs to do. Uh, but, so that was a nickname, and I guess it just kind of reminds us that here it is, and, and, and he says son of Joash, just in case we're wondering. You know, he lived in his own house. Now, Gideon had 70 sons. Oh, it was a big house. Uh-oh. I know where that money went. <laughs> his own offspring. His own sons. Yep. Who were his direct descendants. For he had many wives. I wonder how many. And that's not the uh, end of it. His concubine, who was in Shechem, also bore him a son, and he named him Abimelech. And Gideon, the son of Joash, died at a ripe old age, 
was buried in the tomb of his father Joash in Ophrah of the Abizrites. So, 40 years of peace. During that time, Gideon refuses to be a king, but he establishes a royal dynasty of sorts, I guess you say, in his hometown. He takes a Canaanite concubine in addition to his wives, which is worse. <laughs> it doesn't really matter, but he would have never take to take a Canaanite for a wife. We know that. We could look in the law and see that. But does God ever sanction multiple wives? No, He does not. Right from the beginning. In Genesis, we see that Adam and Eve, and a man was to have one wife. Yeah. Direct violation of the whole law there. Uh, Canaanite woman gives him a son, Abimelech, and his name means my father is a king. <laughs> Gideon names his son, my father is a king. I guess he really, really took that in. Don't call me king, but really, I am a king. I'm your king. Okay. Must mean something. Well, as far as uh, we will see when we return to the rest of this story in chapter 9, Abimelech yeah. is going to wreak havoc upon the nation and Gideon's entire family. So it gives us a little side note there. And that always happens when you have a Canaanite marriage or anything that's unlawful. God definitely will... Oh, and he probably didn't get all the perks the other guys got, the other kids got. Mm -hmm. He was kind of a little, you know... Kind of on the side over here. Outcast little guy. They knew he was a half. Yeah. Oh, does that remind you of somebody else? Hmm. Who else? Jacob and Esau. Yeah. Hmm. Well, a son by the name of Abimelech. My father is a king. Uh, 33, it came about as soon as Gideon was dead, that the sons of Israel again played the harlot with the Baals and Baalpareth their god. Look at that. As soon as he was dead, they couldn't wait. And they went back into doing what they had done before. Evidently, it's a different generation. Yeah. If you don't know the history, that's why we say history is so important, it's going to repeat itself. It does. Thus, the sons of Israel did not remember the Lord, their God, Yahweh, their God, who had delivered them from the hands of all their enemies on every side. Well, they didn't remember that because that's not what they were told. Right. Gideon did it and he died. So, where's God in this? I still have a worship of God, but it's in a wrong way and he has that ephod and this whole deal that they come and worship there. The whole snare, it, it took the whole nation down eventually and it took him and they were ready they were ripe to go back to Baal and worship that false god they didn't remember God because it really probably really wasn't taught 
in the way that, I mean, as far as God's truth, what He's about, what He had done. Gideon got a lot of the glory. Nor did they show kindness to the household of Jeroboam, that is, Gideon, in accord with all the good that he had done to Israel. So, let's be fair, Gideon did do a lot of good. He is a man of faith. He's a believer. And Hebrews 11 makes that very clear. And here it did uh, say that all the good that he had done, what did they do? Well, Well, we will will see that. uh, that. Your outline is a little harsh. (laughs) It looks pretty bad, doesn't it? It's a little harsh. harsh. I have a question. If Gideon wouldn't have killed and scorned those elders way back yonder, would that maybe have kept things more than even killed? Do you know what I'm saying? He he destroyed their reputation, which is and then killed the whole a whole um, legacy of the Israelites. Yeah, he has a legacy, but it doesn't last, does it? As soon as he dies, it's but he, over. But he, but he went ahead and, because what he did, he kind of destroyed a legacy there that he shouldn't have ever destroyed no matter what his people did. Yeah. See, there's a, you know, to me, at this place. But now his people are not showing but kindness maybe, to him. Yeah, maybe for much that they would have despised him, at least they would have kept bringing up the truth. Yeah. They never really well, he had, he had delivered them, you know, right. out of where they had been. They forget think, about it entirely. I don't think he had a shot at being, you know, redeemed because he was on that downward spiral. Just kept and going. whether he killed those people or didn't kill those people, he was, he just, he didn't give credit to God. He did the little priest thing, which he was not. He was, you know, he played his little false humility thing. I'm not king, but oh, I'm a king. <laughs> so, and to name his son Abimelech is just amazing. That my yeah. father is a king. That's saying a lot there, isn't it? I had no idea that that's what his name He's terrible. Abimelech is terrible. Gideon is justified. He's a saint. And he's a sinner. And he rescued the nation from all of its peril. But the sin that he had caused, you know, or that downfall, and it just kept going. And once again, as we see in Judges, this happens quite a lot. As the people turn back to where they had been, it's going to take God and human flesh to save people from their sins. Because these kind of leaders can't do it. They're only human. They're mankind. What's this mean for us? Well, he was... <laughs> it's real easy. Overconfidence, power, wealth, the fame, turns into corruption. Gideon loved the power. He loved the position of authority that he had. He creates the ephod, relocates it in the center of of life to in his own hometown there. He uh, establishes and creates that uh, royal dynasty, I guess you could say. It was a, a, it was a power 
that was a snare to him. And it caught him, didn't it? And, you know, he's a sinner. He's an example to us. And really, this is us. It's very humbling. If we forget the source and the purpose of what God has given us, and we can take for granted what God's work has done in our lives, and we can use it for personal gain and our own advantage. And it's easy to do that because that's what the flesh really wants to do. Spirit against the flesh, flesh against the spirit. I'm glad he is found in Hebrews 11. Because what that does, it's not, do we want to be like Gideon? Not in that way that it turned out. But God certainly used him. And he delivered the people, but it was only for a little while. But it was a great it was a great um, thing to do for forty some years. But you can't live on the past world and that you did in the Christian world. Well, the biggest thing that I can see that he screwed up was he didn't give God the credit. I think that's really it. And if it was, it's very weak. He could have led the people all back to God at that time. And maybe it kind of did in ways, you know, it probably shared, but we don't really get really that. Yeah, they he bought in front of his house. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I love that guy. He makes me feel so, you know, normal. Is the humanist. <laughs> Well, you know, it says in uh, was it in Corinthians where it says these were given as examples to us. It's all written in the Old Testament. It's like, Lord, that's a reminder to me. I realize that there I have my my weak points, my sin, and it's like, Lord, don't let me go down that downward spiral. It's so easy to forget. Well, and you know this. Pride is so built into the human experience. Oh, yeah. It's so ingrained. Especially when you gain a lot of knowledge yeah. in the Bible, and all of a sudden it's... And then it's, people are saying, oh, you are so great. Oh, yeah. And all of a sudden they start <laughs> believing that. You're it's so awful easy to You might start out saying, no, no. So <laughs> start yeah. believing it. All these are saying this, yeah. It's just it, the pride thing. It's so hard. Lord, keep us humble. Humble. Wow. And that's where Gideon was. He was humble. You know, humble until but everybody not. started telling him he was great. <laughs> humble, humble, but not defeated. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Right. Humble, right. but not right. defeated. Yeah. Because he was a victor there through God's work. Well, it's the same thing for us, though, too, because when we were younger, there's a lot going on as we get older, but we also can't let being defeated because there is something there that we were chosen, the Lord, to do whatever it is, and we're still here being chosen for Him to continue to do what we're doing and not to lose hearts. I wish He'd just tell me when I'm supposed to do it, do it, and then I could go home. (laughs) Talking to Tony, and then I said, is there an expiration date underneath there? I would just kind of like to know the plan. <laughs> I saw it. It's 
tell me what to do and I'll do it. And then I can go home. I don't want to be here anymore. He says, here it is, right here. Keep in this. Keep in the Word. Yeah, It's hard to forget when you're in the Word. That's why it's good to have Bible studies over stories we're always familiar with and you, and all of a sudden you go, wow, I forgot that. I hadn't seen that before. I hadn't studied that. Well, and you know, you don't, you don't, you study one guy and you forget all about Gideon and you, and you forget about being humble. There you go. You forget about giving God the credit for everything or else. That's right. He gives us a lesson every time, doesn't he? That's why the word is so important. There it is. I